Good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and find our seat and we'll get started. Psalms chapter 30, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, I will exalt you, O Yahweh, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies be glad over me. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to Yahweh, you, his holy ones, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We're so grateful that we're here today, Lord. We just thank you for who you are, your grace, your mercy, Lord. I pray today that um, we are able, Lord, to, to grow in you more, that we're challenged in our faith, and, Lord, that you are glorified and the kingdom has moved on one more day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we're all part of the plan of salvation, Lord, the plan of redemption, and that, Lord, um, I pray that if anybody here is not saved, Lord, that they walk away today considering their salvation. And those, Lord, who are saved, I pray that they continue to move and grow in sanctification, Lord, and not be satisfied with where they're at. We thank you, Lord, we love you, and I pray for all of us today, and that uh, we um, are um, pleasing aroma to you, Lord. We pray in your name, amen. Sent him away at once and said to him, 
See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Barry, would you also lift up another word for everyone? Here we go. Wally, we pray and thank you for this day. We have such a thank you for this wonderful word that you've given each of us as a love of ourselves. Father, we thank you. We love you and pray for us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have seen where the news of Jesus' healing has already spread rapidly into the towns and into the regions where he is going. And once the miracles have started, the people begin to flock wherever Jesus is or wherever they hear that he is going to be. That's where they want to be. They're seeking after this healing. They're wanting to be witness to these healings. But also remember there are the scribes and the Pharisees. Is it not on? Okay, I thought I was having to talk a little bit louder. Okay. That's better. <laughs> okay, so we know that the miracles have started. And we see them rolling along. The people are flocking to be where Jesus is. They're wanting to be witness to the miracles. There are those that want to make accusations already about what Jesus is doing. Those would be mainly the scribes and the Pharisees who always seem to be following Jesus where he goes. In verse 28 of Mark chapter 1, we saw already that the fame of Jesus, his miracles and his authority teaching with authority, um, was spreading everywhere. There in verse 28, it says that once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So as Jesus enters into these towns, already he was known to them. The things that he was doing was already known to them. And at this point, Jesus has already demonstrated to us his authority and his power. We saw it in the temporal realm where when he entered the synagogue in Capernaum, the people were astonished because he spoke with such an authority that they had never heard before. Typically, the scribes would bring the teachings in the synagogues and they were not hearing this kind of authority from them because Jesus spoke of his own, with his own word. That was the power of God in him as the God-man, speaking with this authority, demonstrating his authority to teach the word. And then we also see the authority of Christ in his freeing people from demon possession. We saw that in the synagogue there in Capernaum as well, demonstrating his power and his authority over the supernatural realm. So from the temporal to the supernatural and everything in between, Jesus shows that he has authority. And the first chapter of John, all things were made through him and for him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. Jesus has authority over all of it. We also saw last week his authority over human afflictions, over the physical condition of man. And we saw that in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. She was sick and in bed with a high fever, and Jesus extends his hand to her, touches her, and lifts her up, and she is immediately restored back to health. So we see there, Jesus has authority over our physical bodies. Jesus is on mission. He is about the work of his Father continually. He's putting his deity on display to show that he is not just man, but he is 
God in the form of man, the Word who has become flesh, is dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is. Where we ended last week is Jesus desiring to go and to preach. That was His priority. The miracles were secondary to the things that He was saying. He was bringing truth to mankind. Verse 38, we didn't read it in our our reading of the passage this morning, but just back up a couple of verses, because this is where we ended last week. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus' preaching is the primary purpose and reason that he wants to go into these cities He wants to enter into the synagogues. He wants them to see that He is their Messiah who has come. Authenticating. Now, the the miracles have also preceded the teaching in in a lot of instances. It wasn't the case in Capernaum. But the people want Jesus to heal them. And so Jesus responds with miracles. But the miracles were also there to authenticate the power and the authority of His message to see that His was like no other, also authenticating His Messiahship, that He is God incarnate, He is the one that the prophecies foretold of. And I think also in His miracles, one of the things that we see is God illustrating the power that He has over the physical body and relating that to us in a spiritual sense. So beginning in verse 40, I think, is where we have this in view. So if you'll just come there with me once more, we'll look at verse 40, and we'll begin to take a deeper dive into this passage that we read earlier. Here, a miracle, I think, that has very deep and um, meaning of significance to us, and we have an opportunity to study that today. Verse 40, and the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Well, first of all, let's consider what a leper is. What was the condition of someone who was afflicted with leprosy? And the Greek word for leper is lepros, and it comes from the word lepo, which means a scaly rash. And it could also, it was used to describe a fish who had scales. They had scales on their body, so one might use lepo to describe that. So it originally had meant something that was scaly or scabby, but then it came to be used to describe one who was afflicted with leprosy. There was a serious skin condition, um, a disorder that is called today Hansen's disease, and the Mosaic Law had a lot to say about leprosy. And what the life was of someone who was afflicted with this condition. In Leviticus chapter 13, chapters 13 and 14, is where we find the law dealing with those that have leprosy. Beginning in verse 45 of Leviticus 13 is where I want us to go. Leviticus 13, verse 45. 
The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside the camp. A leper was referred to as someone who was a walking dead person because they were cast outside the city walls. They were not allowed to live within the interior walls of a city. And it was held by many that they deserved this affliction, that it had to be God's punishment to them for something that they had either done, that they had sinned, or even the sins of their parents caused this affliction. That was the belief that was held by many. They were a scorned person. They were one that was considered an outcast. And you shouldn't greet a leper. If they pass by you, the law stated that they had to be within six feet from you. Kind of sounds like social distancing, right? The six feet, but even on a windy day, they had to be apart 150 feet on a windy day for fear that they would, a, a clean person would somehow be infected with this disease if they were even to catch wind of it. And the only thing that was considered more defiling than contact with a person who was a leper was the touching of a dead body. That was the only thing that was more defiling than making contact with a leper. So you can imagine this person's life, a person who had leprosy, that theirs was a sad and a very lonely existence. Someone who did not have any contact with people. So this leper who encounters Jesus, there was no illusions for him. As a leper, his life uh, was to be one lived apart from society, um, and he knew what his condition would lead to. But now, there was hope. And he knew that this man, this God-man, Jesus, could heal him. There was an earnestness in his wanting to be free of this disease, to have it removed from his body. And so the scripture tells us that he appeals to Jesus, he implored to Jesus. You might find different uh, ways of describing that there, depending on what translation that you're reading from. But the Greek word for imploring is parakeleo, and it's a Greek word that is just a sign of desperation that is heard in one's voice, and it's combined with a physical act of him falling on his knees. In fact, I think Luke says that he falls on his face. He is prostrate before Jesus. There is this humbling sincerity in his posture before God. The Greek word that's combined here, the part of falling on his knees, is ganupateo. And that is simply the act of falling to your knees. So there's no pride in this man. It has been put aside there's no demands, there's no attitude that I deserve this healing, but it is simply pleading upon Jesus to heal him, to cleanse him of this affliction. You notice there also that the leper did not ask Jesus to heal him. Those words are not used, please heal me, but he says, please make me clean, make him clean. And I think this is because the belief was so ingrained in these people that their sin had somehow 
cause this uncleanliness to come upon their bodies, that that is what he needed to be cleaned of this sin that was upon him. The spiritual reality, though, for all of us is that we are all spiritual lepers before we came to faith in Christ. The scales, the pus of that sin was all over us. And so it was with this leper in a physical sense. But Ezekiel prophesied of God's cleansing of those whom he would gather, whom he would call out and restore to himself. Now the application in this passage from Ezekiel, you can turn there to this chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, I'll tell you the verse here in a minute. Um, but this, as I mentioned, is applied to Israel, but also being prophetic it is the reality of the new covenant that the Messiah would usher in, that Jesus Christ would bring cleansing that would go far beyond the external. Because that's what Isaiah has in view here in this passage from Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. And I'll read three verses for you here, 24 through 26. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In our lost condition, we are spiritually defiled. We are dead men walking, dead women walking. In Colossians 2, Paul writes, verse 13, And you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by counseling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is the spiritual condition of leprosy that all of us needed healing from. And maybe that is still the case for some of you here today. But know that Jesus does not turn a humbled and contrite heart away. He hears the sincere pleas of mercy from a lost sinner. And so in verse 41 of Mark 1, we see this. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus is moved with compassion is the phrasing that the NASB translation uses, and it's the Greek word, splagnizomai. It's a lot to get out. Splagnizomai is the moving of compassion deep within someone. So it is a deep, visceral kind of response. That's where the pity is coming from, somewhere deep within. You feel it in your stomach. It's the compassion that moved Jesus to do something about it. It's the compassion that would describe someone who is wanting to take the place of a child who is sick. I think many of us who have children understand that response, wanting to do something for a child who is physically ill, and you just would, if it were possible, you would just want to take that for them, to stand in their place. Such is the deep visceral feeling of this word, splagnizomai. If this man were to have approached any rabbi of this day, 
Can you imagine what the reaction would have been? The religious zealots would have put a hand out, would have chastised him severely, don't come any further, get back out into the place where you belong, back out into the, the desert, outside the city walls, you don't belong here. Uh, anybody that was not a rabbi, they would have just probably parted, the scene, parted ways and there would have been plenty of distance between them. There was no touching whatsoever. But Jesus was moved with pity and he reaches out to touch this man. One of the things that this man did was a very clear violation of the law because they were not supposed to approach anyone. He was not even really supposed to be there. He didn't yell out, unclean, unclean, but he said, clean me. I need to be clean. If this man... Oh, let me, let me move forward in my notes here. So, imagine that this man had probably not felt the touch of any human being for as long as he, he's had leprosy. And it could have been many, many years that he had not felt the touch of another person. And so Jesus, the pure and holy one, reaches out and he touches the defiled one. And an amazing moment that we see here of compassion and grace, that unmerited favor. He did not deserve it. He was not going to give it from anyone but Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I will. He was moved by this man's plea to do something about his condition. And Jesus spoke, be clean. And the Greek word for be clean here, I'm throwing a lot of Greek words at you today. That's, uh, I think it helps us kind of get more meaning to it. But the Greek word here for be clean is katharizo. And it describes a cleansing ritual from impurity or contamination. And in spiritual sense, that is our only hope, that we need a supernatural cleansing within that can only be given to us by Jesus Christ. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So Jesus demonstrates now his authority over this man's affliction, over the physical body. And as soon as Jesus speaks these words, the word says immediately, the word uses immediately, the scales just, they fall away. He was made clean. And depending on the state of this man's condition, depending on how long that he had this leprosy, it was very likely that it had gone to the level that he was missing fingers. He could have been missing his ears and maybe his nose. This disease, as it progresses, it just really took a toll on a person's body, both outwardly but also inwardly. I mean, this was truly a death sentence. This guy was not going to probably live much longer. But imagine that Jesus saying, be clean, scales falling off, but perhaps also fingers growing back, nose and ears being restored, hair growing back into place. Such was the miracles of God that they were complete and that they were total, and that they were immediate. That's what we would expect to see if we were there in this moment, that as soon as Jesus touches him, and as soon as Jesus says, be clean, that was the restoration 
that took place. Immediate. We see again this miracle and the immediacy of the healing. And this also can apply to our salvation. That we are saved from our sin instantaneously. That the blood of Jesus covers our sins and it is complete. In Scripture we find the blood of Jesus' His Son purifies us from every sin. The authoritative power of Jesus to remove disease of the flesh translates to His power to remove our sin from us and to restore us. Like the appendages that might grow back after this healing, we are restored and we are now made new. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse or, yeah, Isaiah 1, verse 18. It says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I just happen to notice that our slide up here kind of depicts that verse, doesn't it? <laughs> let us reason together. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is realized in the cross of Calvary through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 that it is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This is how we are made new, how we are restored in a sense back to God into a peace relationship with Him. Titus would describe it in, t- in chapter 3 that we are washed by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That is what it is to be spiritually cleansed of our sin leprosy. Look now at verses 43 and 44. <clears throat> Mark 1, 43, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus sternly warns him after this very touching moment. <laughs> now he's, there's a command for obedience from this man. And he sternly warns him. It's another Greek word here, imbromai And it means to sternly warn someone. Um, it's to be moved with anger. It can mean that, to admonish stern, sternly, to forbid someone to do something. Uh, we would tell a child when we're trying to correct them or we want them to go a certain way, we might sternly warn them, hey, that fire's hot, don't touch it, go this way. That might be a way of describing what Jesus is doing here. But the command is, is twofold here. The first thing that he says, he commands him not to tell anyone. And why would he not want anyone to know about this miracle? Already the fame of Jesus has spread, and this miracle was even more significant. It was going to be even more meaningful in demonstrating his deity that the people were going to gather and crowd him out of any town that he would try and go into. If we remember back to verse 38 and 39, I read it earlier, but he was wanting to go into the next town. He was wanting to preach there also. He says that is why he came out. So if all the people have heard this message of a leper being healed, how much more are the crowds going to grow 
and be a hindrance for Jesus going and doing what he said he wanted to do in verse 38, that he wanted to go out and preach. So many think that this is the reason why Jesus was telling this man, um, do, no, do not go out and tell anyone, but rather basically make a beeline, go tell the priest, go through the ritual cleansing, because he did not want his preaching to be hindered. hindered. In John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, we see there again just a, a reason that underpins what I'm talking about right now with why Jesus would have told this man not to tell anyone. John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the reasons there are explained by John is that many were convinced that Jesus was to take up an earthly throne here, establish his kingdom here on earth at that moment, and to basically kick Rome out of Jerusalem and to take authority from them. And Jesus did not want that mindset to deter him from his true mission. He was focused on his mission, which was the cross of Calvary. It wasn't to be elevated to an earthly throne. That is going to come. (laughs) But for this moment, Jesus was focused on his mission. It was the cross. It was redemption. One of the things we also see in this warning not to tell anyone in And what he was also commanded to do is to go to the priest first, right? It says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. When we think about this leper, what his nationality was, for Jesus to say this to him, he must have been a Jew. And this would have been the first instance of a Jew being healed of leprosy that we find in the Scriptures. And you're probably going to say, well, hey, what about Miriam? And what about Nahum? And I'm going to, I'm going to explain that here in just a moment. But also keep in mind that some of what I'm going to tell you right now is things that commentators and scholars have written. And I've just, in my research, kind of pulled some information together to present to you because there could have been two or three reasons, and it could have been all of them combined together. But just consider that be Bereans, Acts chapter 17, go to the scriptures to prove that the things that I am telling you are so. So understand that some of this is just derived a lot from what historians write about the, the culture of that time. Um, what they write about Jewish religion. But I say this is the first instance of a Jew being healed because with Miriam, she was healed of leprosy. But she was healed of leprosy before the completion of the Mosaic Law. So yes, she is the first example of a Jew being healed of leprosy. But this was before the completion of the Mosaic Law. Nahum was not a Jew. He was a Syrian Gentile. So that one doesn't count either. So just... Kind of setting those now to the side. So there's no evidence of a Jew being healed from leprosy from the time that the Mosaic Law was written, except for this time that we are seeing here. Now, ancient rabbis, this is said what they believed. One of the things that they held to is that they broke miracles into two categories, 
right? We don't find this in the scriptures. This is just looking at history. But one of the categories would have been miracles that the rabbis themselves, under the power of God, could have performed upon a person. And they had a list under this categories of miracles that rabbis could perform. But then there was a second category of miracles, which are called messianic miracles. And these were only miracles that the Messiah himself, when he came, would be able to do. Now, of course, the Messiah would be able to do both the general miracles, the rabbinic miracles, and the messianic miracles. This would be something, this is something that they understood, and this is the way that they categorized uh, any miracles that were performed. The healing of leprosy was one such messianic miracle. None of the rabbis believed that they could do this, that they had the authority to do it. So, though Levitical priesthood gave us detailed instructions in Leviticus 13 and 14 as to what would take place after a leper came and reported their miracle to the priest, no, they didn't have to go through this because it had never been done up to this time post-Mosaic law. So they never had the opportunity to perform all these detailed instructions that are found in Leviticus. And I think this makes a lot of sense and lines up with why Jesus would tell this former leper to appear now before the priest because it would be to testify to them that the Messiah had come. That there was proof now that a leper who was a Jew had now been healed and a messianic miracle had been performed And they believed that was only possible if the Messiah had come. So perhaps one of the reasons, again, we have to draw a little bit from historical accounts of the culture and and what what the rabbis uh, believed of miracles. But one of the other reasons was that Jesus' words uh, also served as a testimony to any of the onlookers Remember the scribes and Pharisees that are just looking to accuse him of something and point to the, you know, calling his miracles, miracles of Beelzebul and not miracles of God. Jesus didn't want to disregard the Old Testament requirements. So part of it was that he might have been telling this man to do this so that they would not then already launch into the accusations that they would eventually start launching against Jesus, but that Jesus would uphold Old Testament uh, laws and, and ceremonial rituals, and that he wasn't dismissing that. You know, he even, I think it's in Matthew chapter 5, that he says, I don't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I come to fulfill them. And this is Jesus' way of demonstrating that. Um, the third possibility here, and I'm, I'm just going to take this and read it to you as a quote, and that's how I wrote it into my notes. It was also possible that if he did not go at once, Evil-minded men would go before him and prejudice the priest and prevent his declaring the healing to be true because it was done by Jesus. It was of further importance that the priest should pronounce it to be a genuine cure that there might be no prejudice among the Jews against it being a real miracle. So we have the three possibilities that I presented to you. Could be one, could be all of them. But just something to consider, you know, I don't want us to like nail down on maybe an exact one, but uh, the one that I found the most interesting is the two categories of of miracles, because I'd never heard that one before. But uh, do research on your own, and please be a bereaving about that. But what we now find, and we're going to read it here in a moment in verse 45, is that the former leper 
did not pass the obedience test because Jesus had already told him what he should do. But do we see this man gladly follow in obedience to what Christ told him? And no, we do not. And it might be easy to attack this man and say, how could you? You know, all you had to do is just do exactly what he said. You were healed of this. Why didn't you follow what Jesus commanded you to do? But then I think about what it would be if I were suddenly relieved of this disease that I've been afflicted with for years and this welling up in joy and the emotional response of, of now being able to touch people and now being to, to be accepted again. Um, I can't really fault him and say that I would have never done that. But look at verse 45 and verse 45 with me. But we, he went out, he began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So it caused Jesus' popularity, his fame, if you will, to spread even more. And the crowds at this point are already ready and waiting for him whenever he arrives in a city or a town, such that he had to now go to the desolate places and then the people would seek him out. And here again, it's easy for us to want to throw accusations at the people again and say, well, how much, why put so much pressure on Jesus? You know, you should have just been focused on his word and not the miracles. Well, I wonder how I would have responded in that. So we, we have to always kind of bring this back to our human level and see what we would have done in this instance. So let's not be too harsh with them. But Jesus could not publicly enter a town because of the overwhelming response of his miracles. And we're going to see that next week in our teaching in chapter 2. Actually, I'll just read ahead with it. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this is what we find. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So he, he goes back to Capernaum, and now this news is spread. He, they were already knew about him there because of what he did in the synagogue, but crowds and crowds of people, and pushing Jesus out of the towns and having to go into the desolate places. But was out in, a desolate, in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So now you just go back to the man the former leper who was now healed of his disease. Remember, he was once the castaway who was put outside of the city walls not to enter in because of his disease. And now Jesus is the one that is having to go out into the desolate places, out of the city and among the people. And he, in a sense, is the castaway now. And I don't know if what we're supposed to be seeing here is a metaphor, but I'm kind of taking it because to be that, because of what we've looked at in the spiritual condition of our hearts being lepers before God, apart from Him, outside of His salvation. But now it's almost as if the roles have been reversed. The leper, the former leper, and now Jesus. The leper now having the freedom to move about and make contact with people. And now Jesus Christ, the one who is going out into the desolate places. And the reason why I say this could be a metaphor, because this is what we see of us. 
that Jesus, what he did on the cross for lost sinners, and what he did on the cross for lost sinners still today. All of us who profess faith in Christ and have repented of our sin were the spiritual lepers who were in need of his cleansing, who were in need of his healing, his salvation. We were the ones in isolation from God, right? We were the ones in, wandering in the wilderness. We were the ones in the desolate places apart from God. In fact, the Bible says that we were enemies of God. That was our sin that separated us from the Father, and we were the ones in desperate need of renewal and restoration. But we had no way back to God of our own power. And so Jesus took our place on the cross. And He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God on the cross. There it was that Jesus was forsaken by men in Isaiah 53, and we esteemed him not. And there also he was forsaken by his Father. That the wrath of God that we deserve, that was directed towards us, was to be poured out upon his one and only Son as he shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus was treated as an outcast, for those of us who are believers, who believe in His name and what He has done, we have, then, we have now been accepted. Accepted into the Beloved, that we are called now the Beloved of God. We are called His children. And in that, we will be welcomed into the presence of God in eternity one day. Jesus offers full cleansing to the spiritual leper who cries out to Him in faith. If you are willing you can make me clean. We must act in obedience to follow in a repentant faith. When He restores us, we need to be obedient to Him. And one of the first acts of obedience is that we love, and one of the first acts of our love towards Him is that we show Him through our obedience. And the Lord's compassionate reply is always the same. When a humbled and repentant sinner comes to him and pleads for his mercy, he will always say, I am willing, be cleansed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the word to us, the one who became flesh and dwelt here among us the one who would reveal to us who you are, that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known that he is that incarnate word to us. And we thank you that we live on this side of the cross and that we are recipients of your grace. And for those of us who have pleaded for your mercy for those of us who are restored and, and made new, that we desire and want that for those who have not experienced just your saving touch. And we pray for those who are still lost in their sin condition, God, that you would reach out and that you would touch them, that they would be cleansed, but that would first come to you in recognition that you are the only one who can save them, and that their posture before you is not one of pride or 
not one that says, I deserve this, but simply relying upon your grace. And we thank you that when we come to you and we cry out for your mercy, that you hear us and that you make us clean. Lord, we thank you for that provision of grace through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.